today on Ag News Daily. Are we going to be the first choice for China, not necessarily because they want to do business with us, but mm-hmm. because they're going to have to do business with us? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We're doing a special guest host today. I've got Ted Seifert, who's the VP of Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. Hey, Delaney. My my pleasure. Always fun to talk with you. Ted, let's uh, talk about the commodity classic before we get into some news for today, because you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're not going to be there at the same time, but for (laughs) uh, folks maybe wanting to connect with you at Commodity Classic, what's your plans for the week? Well, uh, I get in on Thursday. Uh, We're doing a dinner with some some friends on Thursday night, and then I'm just going to be kind of roaming around uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we don't have a booth this year uh, just because it's just me going. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and Matt Zainer will be with me. Um, but, yeah, we're just going to be kind of walking the fest, and uh, we've got a whole bunch of people that we want to say hi to. And if anybody's going to be around, you know, look out for us. Or, you know, you can DM me on Twitter. I'm at the TED spread. Let me know if you're going to be there and if you'd like to, you know, sit down and, and chat. Uh, we'll be around. Yeah, booths can be um, demanding of your time. So it's probably – better use of your time anyway. So just get around and talk to people. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I was bringing uh, the whole crew, you know, we'd do the booth and, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of take turns and so on and so forth. But with me being just there and, you know, I have a whole bunch of other meetings and a couple Mm -hmm. media things I got to do, that that booth would be sitting there by itself for a (laughs) lot of time. So that just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be a cool commodity classic and it's going to be warm. That's what I'm most excited about. Yeah, you know, I've been watching the weather for like uh, the last couple of weeks, and for a little while I was a little concerned because they were showing uh, highs of 72, mm-hmm. which, hey, listen, that's still a lot better than what we're dealing with. But, you know, highs in the 70s and, uh, you know, rain and whatever, but that's actually really cleared up. It looked like it looks like we're going to be in the 80s, especially uh, mm-hmm. Friday and Saturday uh, in the 80s and a little bit of sun. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. And since we're on the topic of weather, Ted, I've got to ask – you talk to a lot of growers across the U.S., especially in the Midwest. I've had a lot of growers come up to me and ask, do you think it's going to be a delayed planting season because of the weather and what market impacts are we going to see from that? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, planting could be a mess. You know, you look at the longer-term forecast, and it's supposed to be below normal temps and above normal precip basically for the next two months. And, uh, you know, I was just talking to some guys out in Minnesota and northern Iowa that had you know, up to 20 inches of snow, and they were trying to dig themselves out. Um, it's a mess out there. A lot of guys didn't get a whole lot of fall field work done either, so we mm-hmm. really kind of need a an early spring to get started. So planting could be uh, an interesting endeavor. You know, I, I know it's a little early to start getting into that as far as the markets yeah. are concerned, but, you know, it's certainly something that we're all talking about. Uh, as far as an impact on the market, certainly if we have delayed planting, you know, that might have an influence on corn. You know, everybody wants to talk about corn acres versus soybean Mm -hmm. acres and so on and so forth. Well, you know, we can have all of our best laid laid plans, but uh, the weather's going to have a big part in that and really kind of dictate some of the acreage mix. Uh, And at the the current rate, looking at the long-term forecast, well, I don't know how we're going to get an extra three or four million acres of corn. It just doesn't uh, seem like that's a, a reality. But you know, who knows? You know, forecasts, long-term forecasts, you trust them about as far as you can throw them. Uh, and when we're this far out, you know, a lot of things can change, just like the forecast uh, that we were talking about for Florida changed 
in the last 10 days or so. Yeah, that's true. So I guess just to let everybody know, we're going to do things a little differently today because obviously Ted likes to talk about the markets. That's his strength. So we're going to kind of tie in some news and maybe Ted's take on how that relates to the markets. Ted, let's talk about acreage since you opened that door. We got USDA projections last week. What's your take on it? Do you really think we're going to see a decrease in soybean acres by, what, 4 million? Well, I think a lot hangs in the balance. And before we go into that, though, Delaney, I'm more than a one-trick pony. I'm down to talk about <laughs> anything that you would like to talk about. Okay, it doesn't perfect. have to be about markets. But, you know, since you – and acreage isn't necessarily a market thing right now. Uh, it certainly will impact the markets. But I think it's an interesting conversation anyway. So, uh, you know, going back to what we were just talking about, weather is going to dictate a lot of what happens as far as what we're going to plant. Uh, if things stay the way they are right now, it's going to be very difficult to see such a large increase in corn acres and a big drop in soybean acres. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing going on right now, aside from the weather, is the trade talks that we currently mm -hmm. have going on with China, which sound like they are going very well. Uh, President Trump over the weekend pushed back the deadline for <clears throat> increasing our tariffs on the $200 billion from 10% to 25%. And that is probably the most positive thing we've heard from the Trump camp since this started. So, um, you know, we're, talk, we're, we're talking about when we can set up a meeting or a summit uh, in Mar-a-Lago to get the signing done. Uh, so, wow, really sounds like we're going to get something done here. And I got to say, I, that bodes well for soybean acres. Uh, I think guys that were on the fence uh, are, are now kind of leaning back more towards soybeans again. And then you have a day like today, Delaney, mm -hmm. where markets are sharply lower in corn and wheat, Yet soybeans were higher on the day, so the soybeans again asking for those acres. So I don't know. I just the way that we're setting up going into this planting season, it doesn't seem to me that we're going to get as big of an acreage shift as we were talking about back in October, or even as big of an acreage shift as we really were talking about here just even a few weeks ago. Um, I think we're going to be a lot closer to, you know, that 50-50 rotation that we saw last year when you're talking 90 million acres of corn, 90 million acres of soybeans. Uh, I, I do think there is going to be a little bit more corn and a little bit less beans, and that in, in large part is going to come from the north and northwestern areas that have just big basis problems. Uh, but it's not going to be, I, in my opinion, and judging by who the guys I'm talking to, it's not going to be as big of a shift. Okay, that makes sense. And so since you opened the gate there for some news, you mentioned President Trump agreed to postpone the March 1st deadlines. We also saw on Friday China or Friday night, Saturday morning, China agreed to buy an additional 10 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans, could potentially be another olive branch. But I've got to ask this because we were watching the news Friday uh, for market to market because we were recording a, a trade panel. But it's like that news of potentially pushing back the deadline on the March 1st tariffs, as well as President Trump saying we're going to meet with China that came, like, right before the close on Friday. Do you think that was a coincidence, Ted? Oh, hmm. You know, we were all talking about that, too. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, part of me wants to say that, you know, the powers that be want to wait till these sorts of things have the largest impacts that they possibly could have mm -hmm. on the market. And that being said, we saw zero impact on that on Friday. Right. Uh, the impact came on the open Sunday night. And I think in this particular instance, it was one of those things where that, that uh, news did not age well. Uh, I think we would have had a much sharper and maybe more positive reaction to it 
on Friday than what we did on Sunday night and certainly into mm-hmm. today, Monday. Um, so no, I, I don't think it was that. I, I think it was just simply the timing of when that meeting took place and, you know, when the Chinese had the time to do it. And I, no, I, I don't think that was coordinated. I, I just don't. Um, okay. But, you know, it, that, that being said, we extended the meeting. We continued to talk over the weekend. The news that got, I would say, even more positive, yet the reaction, as far as the markets were concerned, wasn't all that great on Monday. It seems to me that the market really wants to see this thing proven out. We're not going to really take anybody's word for it. We think that this could still blow up at at the last second. There's still some issues that a lot of us have a hard time fathoming that we can come to terms on, such as IP and IT Mm -hmm. and how how we're going to enforce that. Uh, so there's still a whole lot of skepticism there. <laughs> and again, the markets are reflecting that. I, uh, happen to do, uh, uh, radio, <clears throat> excuse me. I happen to do a radio, in, uh, interview with Radio Sputnik out of Moscow on Saturday morning. Ooh. Um, and they seem to be, well, they seem to think that this deal's done already. Um, hmm. and really the question there is how is that going to affect, Russian exports, Black Sea exports, Ukrainian exports. Uh, how's that going to affect uh, Brazil and South America, Argentina exports? You know, how's that going to affect the rest of the world? Uh, are we going to now become the preferred? Uh, preferred is not the right word. Are, are we going to be the first choice for China? Not necessarily because they want to do business with us, but mm-hmm. because they're going to have to do business with us through this trade deal. So there's a lot of a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on in the whole world wondering where everybody stands in this whole thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, so what's your take on it when you look at, because obviously soybeans, which is kind of taken the news, the limelight for the news here during this whole trade war thing, we're at the end of our export season when we would normally export to China and it's Brazil and Argentina's time to come to the table with their them getting into the fields and harvesting and whatnot. What's your take on that? Do you think we're going to be able to compete with them? Mm, yes. And, okay, so my take on it <laughs> is, is this, Delaney. I, I don't think that China is going to be buying uh, soybeans from us because they need the soybeans. I, I think they've got Brazil for that. Um, and even the 10 million metric tons that they talked about on Friday, they don't need them from us mm-hmm. right now. Um, they can be going down to South America in full force at this point and avoid us completely. They're buying because they want to get this trade deal done, and that's certainly how they're positioning themselves. But I kind of believe that they're going to be buying soybeans to fill their state reserves because I feel the Chinese are concerned that they're going to have the same problem all over again in two or three years. And this time, they don't want to get caught, well, so to speak, with their pants down, or they don't want to get caught unprepared if you have to edit that out. Right. Um, <laughs> We're going to leave it right? in. I like it. Okay. Yeah, so they don't. They want to be prepared for this to happen again. If they cannot hold up to their promises in IT and IP and in the enforcement that we put in um, proves that out, that it's not possible. Uh, because, you know, really I think they're, they're dealing with us wanting them to change their culture. And that's not something mm-hmm. that I think happens very easily. So uh, I think the Chinese are going to be on a mission to stockpile everything they can get their hands on in order to build their state reserves to the point where if this or maybe when this happens again, they aren't so reliant on us and they can kind of just say, okay, that's fine. You don't want to do business with us. We won't do business right. with you. 
we're in a position to to do such a thing. Because in the meantime, I think they're going to try to develop uh, as much of South Africa as much as the their yeah. their domestic uh, cropland that they can, and they're going to try to to develop other channels of getting their soybeans. So, no. I don't think this hurts Brazil. I don't think it hurts the Black Sea. I don't think it hurts anybody. I think China's going to buy as many soybeans as they can possibly find. And that's actually going to be a little bit easier for them because they're having, you know, the ASF or African Mm -hmm. swine fever problems. And we've seen Chinese demand, at least from my perspective, has, has really fallen dramatically. They don't need as much soybean meal to feed their hog herd. I think their hog herd's down about 15%. Oh, wow. They say it's down five. I think it's a lot more than that. Um, and, and so it'll be easier for, easier for them to build those stocks, but I really do believe that they want to build those stocks and they'll, they'll do that saying that, Hey, we're buying soybeans from you guys from the United States. Uh, you used the term olive, olive branch earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think that's what they're, they're saying it is, or, or, or they want us to, to look at it that way. But the reality is, is I think they are protecting themselves for this to happen again, and that's why, in my opinion, they'd like to get this done as soon as possible so they can get to going on that uh, and they can stabilize their internal prices. But the African swine fever is not going away. It's no. spreading. You know, the news over the weekend, the African swine fever is spreading to the fourth Vietnamese province, so mm-hmm. it is moving into other countries. Uh, I'm worried this is going to be a much bigger problem than just even in China, but I think it's it's much worse in China than what they're making it out to be. Uh, but, you know, if this continues to spread, oh boy, this is a problem not just for the Chinese and Chinese meal demand or Chinese soybean demand, but this is a problem for possibly Asia or maybe even a bigger portion of the world mm-hmm. uh, as time goes by. So, I don't know. These are these are news stories that I'm watching very closely. Yeah, and you know, talking about the African swine fever thing, I think it's interesting, and maybe you have a different take on this, Ted, but it's like the market got so excited about it back in August, September, October, when it was like we were hearing about it in the news all the time. Hogs were trading at a good price on the board. Now we look at the futures. Last week they had a pretty rough week on the futures boards. Not a pretty close for today. It's like this story, this African swine fever story, isn't really affecting the markets anymore. Well, it is affecting the markets, and you keep wanting to talk about markets. How cute, Delaney. That's fine. <laughs> um, it, it is affecting the markets. It's just it's affecting the markets in a different way than it originally was. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we first were talking about African swine fever, we were worried that, um, or the thought was that, okay, China's going to lose a bunch of their hog herd, and they're going to need to they're going to need to have more pork, and it's going to probably come from us at least a portion of that, and that's going to help our exports. So that was where the bullish sentiment came from. Uh, we've sort of flipped our script on that a bit because what it's actually done is your smaller Chinese producer, which is the, not the majority, but it's mm-hmm. certainly not a small amount. It's like thirty-seven percent or something. Uh, your smaller Chinese producer, pork producer, are they're dealing with very expensive feed costs right now because of the the trade war and because of their their internal meal prices are really right. quite high uh, or had been they they've they've since fallen back quite a bit and that's part of a soybean problem that we have too um but you know feed is is difficult at the same time you're worried about hey am I going to get ASF in my herd and the way to combat that is to try to go to market as fast as possible so you've got a lot of product coming to market 
in a short period of time. So they're flooded with supply. We're flooded with supply. They don't need to import from us right away. So their lower pork values are not helping mm. our, our cause. And so you kind of flush that out a little bit. The other thing that has happened with ASF is that, you know, there was a recall last week in China on some Chinese dumplings that could have been infected with ASF. Mm. And while we know that ASF cannot be transmitted right. to humans, there's still that public concern. And we went through it with Mad Cow here. And we're, you know, the, the public doesn't want to eat something that's diseased. That's just, you know, the mindset that we have. If there's something that's been tainted, whether it can be transmitted or not, we don't want to stick around and find out. We don't want to eat that. Mm -hmm. So not only is there a whole lot of supply coming to the market in China, as there is here, there's also this sort of waning consumer demand that's happening. And I think that's just going to be temporary. The Chinese really like pork. That's, that's their big, that's their yeah, beef. That's their you staple, know I mean? right? Culturally speaking, that's their go-to. Uh, that'll come back, I think. Um, but, you know, if you lose that demand over there because people are afraid to eat tainted food products, then, well, it's sort of that double whammy. And that's, that's where you get the pressure, right. especially up front in hogs. Okay, so since you don't want to talk about markets, I'm going to move on here. Let's talk about some news impacting agriculture yeah. other than the Chinese trade deal, just to kind of put a bow on that. We know market facilitation programs are extremely important on producers' balance sheets this year. USDA's Bill Northey, who's the undersecretary uh, for that program and other programs, said that market facilitation program payments are almost completed for all of those producers that applied we're seeing somewhere right now topped $7.7 billion. He said, we know there's some dollars that will still continue to go out, but it looks like they're nearing the end of that payment package for producers. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, that's, that's what I've heard as well. And, uh, you know, everybody that has an opportunity to take advantage of that should mm -hmm. absolutely be taking advantage of that. You know, something I'm curious about, uh, they put the one penny in there for corn, mm -hmm. right? It's almost like why? Why? why I know. Do that? I wondered that too. It's almost like kind of a middle finger to corn producers with just a penny. It's like if you don't even have that many acres of corn this year, is it worth your time filling it out, filling out the application? I know it doesn't take a long time, but is it worth it? I mean, listen, anything's worth it, especially in this sort of climate, and I think they know that, right? So what I'm wondering is if this was the USDA's way of getting guys to register their acres more Ooh. completely. So that they have a better handle on what exactly we had production-wise last mm. year. Not only from an acreage standpoint, but from a bushel standpoint. Because I really don't think the USDA had a good feel on where our corn production was last year. So for me, and I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist. I was going to say, that sounds theorist. like a conspiracy theory, Ted. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, it, it, sometimes. But look, to me it sounds like a very cheap way. I mean, a penny a bushel, okay, maybe not very cheap, but either way, it's not... It, it's a fairly cheap way to go in and get a much better read on what the bushels mm. were last year. So, you know, cause if they can, if they can get a, a, an idea of a percentage of respondents, which they'll be able to do from soybeans, then they can say, okay, well this percent had this production and that will give them much, much solider view on what production for mm -hmm. corn was last year. So I don't know. That's my thought on that one penny. Uh, overall though, I mean, think about it. The trade, you can say the trade war had an impact on, on soybean prices. The bigger problem for soybeans really is sort of is overproduction because 
even with the Chinese trade deal, we're still overproducing soybeans. Even if you get that sort of temporary demand where China wants to build its 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 domestic stocks in order to avoid another war or or, or the effects of another war, a uh, trade war with with the U.S., that demand is going to go away. And you know when you look at what we're using for soybeans in the world, we are now starting to overproduce. So we have a problem with this. If if we do get this this deal done with China and we start sending them all of our soybeans again, that'll be great for a few years, but in the long run, we're still going to have to deal with the situation that we're in now. But if you look at corn prices, you know, you can't say there's a whole lot wrong there. I know there's a lot of people that want to be really bullish corn, um, you know, because uh, how strong demand is and everything like that, but we're having a major ethanol problem. You know, ethanol is, is really, it had been the bright spot for corn for, for a long time. But now that's really turned. So we have an ethanol problem, mm-hmm. and if that ethanol problem continues, we're overproducing. So at some point, we're going to have to deal with that. And I don't think I don't think you really needed to see that much of a payment on corn because I don't think the corn prices are really that depressed compared to what, what you really know about yeah. the corn market right now. Interesting. Yeah. All right, that's a good take on it. I like it. I'll take it. In uh, other news, trade news, especially. We know that the European Trade Commissioner, Cecilia Malmström, and others are arriving next month to meet with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and other U.S. trade officials. But the EU continues to remain adamant that they do not want agricultural issues to be included in those ongoing trade talks. The EU ambassador to the U.S., David O'Sullivan, says there is no way Europe will agree to expand the trade talks that were intended to only cover industrial goods. And then when you factor in the auto tariffs that potentially the Trump administration could place on it, it doesn't look good for EU-US trade negotiations. And it's interesting, Ted, I was having some discussions with producers last week at a meeting I was speaking at, and they said, you know, ag is an important part of our trade balance and our trade deficit. How can agriculture not get included? Yeah, exactly right. You know, and it's funny because the same thing with Mexico. Mm-hmm. It feels like a lot of the trade issues that we're having with our friends. So not China. Not saying that China's. Do you not say a friend, friends our, loosely? I would say maybe with air quotes around it. Yes, but with our with our traditional allies. How's mm-hmm. that? Our traditional trade okay. allies. Um, it seems to be centered mostly around cars and steel. I know. And why is you know, that? Ah, that's a great question. I, Trump is very protective about our auto uh, over over our auto industry, and to some extent, I like that a lot. But uh, to another extent, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a free market capitalist because our auto, our auto industry should be able to stand on its own. And so his big thing is that you know if we're if we're being competitive in the auto industry, we shouldn't have to face tariffs and and things like that. And if we do, then we're going to put the same on you. So it, it's it's become a bit of a, a bickering thing. Um, you know, so I don't know where that goes. Um, I agree with you. Agriculture should be included as a big part of everything. Uh, but in the great scheme of things, the auto industry, the airplane industry, mm-hmm. the steel industry, these are much bigger industries on a global scale uh, from just from a from dollar amounts, you know. Uh, right. So I mean, it's also what the public really likes to hear more about. You know, I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, when you're talking to a, 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 a dentist sitting in New York, he'd much rather hear about cars and planes than corn, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, corn's yeah. not sexy to your overnight <laughs> so much. I wish it was. 
Well, you know, I, we're trying to change that, right? I, I mean, you've mm-hmm. seen me wear the corn hat on, on the TV <laughs> before. And trying to trying to get that. Uh, we're trying to bring sexy back to that's the corn right. market. There you go. Or just agriculture in general. Yes, that's right. Yes. Well, Ted, another quick piece of news. I know you're not a dairy guy, but we saw that Polar Vortex Week hit especially southern Washington, their dairy production, pretty dang hard. Officials say that more than 1,800 dairy cows died in that blizzard in southern Washington with nearly $4 million in losses, and that's not including lost milk production. Um, That's in total seven dairy farms. They have turned in their notices of loss to their agencies in southern Washington, so there still might be other dairy farms in that part of the country, but... The weather has not been pretty on livestock, I feel like, as a whole, especially, I mean, it was like we had such a nice winter heading into Christmas time. We were probably a little bit too lucky. And then come January 1st, that those next couple of weeks, we had horrible weather for a lot of the Midwest and all parts of the United States that definitely hit a lot of, a lot of livestock farmers. Yes, I feel bad for that. And I feel bad for the dairy cows, too, because I really like dairy. <laughs> A lot. I know. So do I. Good. It's great. Yes. Love it. <laughs> but no, you're right. It's been it has been a winter of extremes. Yes. You know, we've had extreme cold. We've had extreme warm. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, I think here on in Chicago, or I live outside of Chicago on Saturday, uh, we got up to 50 degrees. It was raining like crazy, but you know, we got up to darn near 50 degrees, and then you know, now we're Oh, followed by 50 mile an hour, 60 mile an mm, hour wind gusts. And now we're, you know, nine degrees. I mean, it's all over the place. We've it's had some a, very big snows. We've had some yeah. very big rains. You know, we go from freezing to sloppy to freezing again. That's not good for livestock. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> we could all use a break, I think. And, <laughs> and if you're looking for that break, and I'm talking to you listeners, if you're looking for that break, you know, I got an idea for you. There's this thing called Commodity Classic. It is at the end of this week. <laughs> It is down in Orlando, Florida, and I've been checking the news, or I've been checking the forecast about every 15 minutes, and Friday and Saturday in particular look like glorious days. Yeah. So come join me by the pool <laughs> down in Florida, because uh, that will be a lot nicer than what most of us are experiencing up here. I like that plug. That's great, Ted. Get more people to head down to Commodity Classic. You could even take your family. I, it's I, in Orlando. Like, that's, you know, you've got Disney, you've got SeaWorld. I know you're going to be hitting those up, aren't you? I will not this year. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about it. You know, I was thinking about it. It might be a little no, weird if I, there's like a mid-30-year-old man with no kids at those establishments, Ted. Might look a little funny. Well, I think, I think mid-30-year-old man might be the biggest compliment you've ever paid me. Because <laughs> I, I think uh, you, you, you've, you've said I'm, I'm almost 40, which is probably truer anyways, but you're right. <laughs> but yeah, just, no, that would be – I don't want to be the creepy guy. and. and and to be honest, I don't I don't really like theme parks. Yeah, it's just I'm not, not a big theme park person either. It's uh you know, I there's a, a Larry the cable guy saying about water parks, is saying, you know, if you ever if you haven't been to a water park and you want to imagine it, just imagine everybody at Walmart with their bathing suits on. <laughs> oh god. And that's to disgusting. me that's, that's a very, horrible image. It's disgusting. Oh no, it's <laughs> terrible. That's why it's funny. Come on, it's comedy, right? <laughs> But that's why we don't like to go to theme parks yeah. either, because it's basically everybody in Walmart trying to Ooh. stand in line for whatever it is, food, for for roller coaster rides, yeah. for shows, yeah. for everything. Yeah. And I just, I don't like standing in line. It's one of my least <sighs> favorite things to do. 
And it seems to me that that's what you spend most of your time going to these theme parks for. So, mm. yeah, I try to avoid those things. Mm. Uh, you know, w- once a year, my wife and my kids go down uh, to Disneyland or World, which is the one, whichever one's in yeah, Florida. I don't know which one. They go down there. They meet uh, her sisters and their kids, and they have this one old, one big old week where they go and have a good time. I stay home. No, I don't stay home. I go somewhere else. I I like to scuba dive, and generally speaking, I go on my scuba dive trip when they're gone doing that. But uh, I try to avoid it as much as possible, <laughs> and I will be doing so again this week. And yeah. thankfully, I will have people to talk to and walk around there and hang go. out with, and might be some beers drank and maybe oh, some I'm steaks sure. eat. Oh, yeah. You got yeah. to. All right. Again, folks, you can hit Ted Seifert up on Twitter if you want to meet up with him. You can also hit me up on Twitter at AgNewsDaily if you want to connect with me. Ted, the one thing we forgot to do for today's podcast is read the closes for today. We should probably do that before we let folks go. Yeah, I suppose so. And they're not pretty, but... Like, no. Can we just skip wheat? If I we can skip wheat, I'll do it. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, I'm wheat, out. No, wheat but, producers, not a pretty day for you. You know, I don't know what months you usually like to focus on. Whether you like to be a front month girl yeah. or a back month yeah. girl, but I think uh, you know, front end deferred is usually what we go for. All right. well then I'm just going to do my thing here. So May corn here today was down four and a half cents. That was a close at three eighty flat, while December corn. Down three and a quarter was at three ninety eight and a half, so back below the four dollar mark. Uh, for soybeans, we had the May beans up a penny and a quarter at nine twenty five, even while November was up a penny at nine fifty five and a half. For your wheat, we'd rather not talk about this, but the May wheat down nineteen cents at four seventy two and three quarters. December Chicago down sixteen and a half at five oh one and a half, so just barely clung to that five dollar mark, even all the way out in December. And then for Kansas City, May down 15 and three quarters at 450 and a quarter settle. And your May Minneapolis down 11 and a half at 553 even. Over in the uh, pigs, the moose and oinks, as we call them, <laughs> your August feeder cattle, which is what I'm watching, it was up 25 at 151.30. Your no feeders were up 25 at 151.20. A lot of parity there. Uh, your April fat cattle. Up 35 at 129.22, while your October were up just two ticks at 116.67. Your April hogs oof, down 155 at 53.90. That was actually a pretty good recovery off the low, down there all the way at 52.75. And your June hogs up 135 at 74.55. Delaney, that is your closes, and back to you. Awesome. Thanks, Ted. And thanks so much for hosting with me today. This has been fun. I like it. Yeah, not a problem. Awesome. Yeah, no, no, it was fun. It was, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, we were doing a radio show or something. I know. Right? Kind of like we were, except it's not live. That's why I love podcasts. You can edit stuff yeah. out. You know, what's, what would be weird, I think, for most people to know is that this is, this is how our normal conversations go. Like, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, like, pretty I, much. I, I, I didn't even know we were doing a radio show. I, I <laughs> totally could have just been that. Right? Well, we'll have to have you on again sometime really soon. Ted, should we let the people go? No, I think so. Let them go. <laughs>